What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Nat Eliason. Nat is one of my favorite writers in crypto. His blog, www.nateliason.com, eloquently breaks down complicated topics into simple concepts that anyone can understand. We discuss the crypto gaming market, Web3 projects, decentralized finance, tokenomics, play and earn gaming, and more. This was an awesome episode, and I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. It's the one tech product that I wear 24-7. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their new smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone, and it automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go on a run anymore. You can then analyze your activity levels in the app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Whoop really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you're just wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. And Whoop is now offering 15% off their new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter Joe, J-O-E, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is 8sleep. 8sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer and nature's best medicine. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues, yet still more than 30% of Americans struggle with sleep and temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot, but now I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I have ever before, all thanks to my 8sleep Pod Pro Cover. The Pod Pro Cover by 8sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature of the cover will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. The result? Eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get overall more restful sleep. The Pod Pro covered by Eight Sleep is so popular that it has garnered attention from CEOs, high performers such as Olympic gold medalist Red Gerard, and top CrossFit athletes, including the 2021 fittest man on earth, Justin Medoros, and UFC heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou. They're all powered by Eight Sleep to make the most of their workouts and recovery. Remember, good sleep is the ultimate game changer. So go to eightsleep.com slash Joe to check out the Pod Pro cover and save $150 at checkout. Eight Sleep ships to the USA, Canada, and the UK. Next up is FTX. I'm sure you've heard of them by now, whether it's because of their partnerships with the Miami Heat, Golden State Warriors, the MLB, or Formula One. Whatever it may be, it's obvious 
that FTX is dominating the crypto conversation in sports. FTX US is a safe, regulated way to buy Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Plus, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than any other exchange on the market. You can even buy NFTs on the FTX app from top ETH and Solana collections without getting hit with fees. Simply put, FTX gets it, and they want to make crypto exposure accessible, easy, and secure. Download the FTX app on your smartphone today and use code JOEPOMP, J-O-E-P-O-M-P, for a discount on trading fees and start building your portfolio in less than three minutes. It's literally that easy. All right, let's get into this episode. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, everyone. I'm here with Nat Eliason, who I hope I pronounced his name correctly. I literally just asked him right before the show. Nat, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So I feel like we should level set before we get going here. You write a newsletter, Nat's Crypto Newsletter cryptonat.substack.com if anyone wants to go check it out. And it's an excellent newsletter. You write about mostly crypto and, and gaming. And there was one article in particular that caught my attention. It's something that I'd heard about previously, but I just hadn't done the homework on and hadn't put a ton of time or effort or energy into figuring out exactly what was happening. And it's called Steppen. Is that how you pronounce it, Steppen? Yeah, that's how I've been pronouncing it anyway. Okay, cool. So Steppen, it is a, I believe they're calling it Move to Earn app that obviously involves crypto. And the general premise is that you can earn money for being active, for walking, for running, for doing those things, and kind of a gamification of that. So I want to dig through this. And usually, I joke sometimes on the podcast, and I say that even if I didn't have sponsors and get paid to do this, I would still do it because it's just fun to, to meet new people like yourself and others, but also learn, right? And I get to do this in public. And my guess is that a lot of other people are interested in this also. And it'll be fun for them to kind of learn exactly what's happening, how this works. Maybe they want to get involved, maybe they don't. But I usually like to give at least some kind of disclosure at the beginning, right? Which is, there's the general kind of none of this is financial advice, but also when it comes to this project specifically, it's like, I didn't invest, I didn't venture invest in Steppen. I don't own any of the tokens. I don't own any equity in the business. I don't necessarily even plan on investing in the business or, or the tokens or the, the system or anything. I just want to learn. So I think that if we're all on the same page about that, I think that we'll be good. So I want to start more broadly first and just talk about Web3. Cool. When you go and talk to someone who doesn't know anything about Web3, how do you explain it to them? It's a good question. You know, and just before we dive in, I'll give my disclosures, which are that I was not a seed investor or anything in Step In. I kind of stumbled onto it a month ago. And while I now own I don't know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars of imaginary sneakers. That is the extent of my <laughs> investment in the platform. So I hope you know that now everyone thinks you're insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I think like aside from the you know this is not financial advice, uh, whatnot disclosures too. There is also a anytime you see something, and Stepin's a little different from normal crypto stuff. We'll get into that later. But anytime you see something in you know it's crypto tangential that's like red hot and growing really fast, you've always got to be a little extra careful with it, right? Because, I mean, and this is actually true for any market, right? Like the faster something is growing and the hotter it is, the faster it could crash. And you don't want to be the one kind of holding the bag at the end there. So just general, you know, exercise caution before we get into it. So I'm going to throw around some numbers that are going to sound absurd 
And I don't want people to like go make irresponsible decisions with their money. So, all right, back to the Web3 question. We're in this neat era of technology that I think is this decade's like big, you know, tech shift, right? The last one was mobile. The one before that was web. The one before that was probably like personal computing. And, you know, every time we go through these big shifts, these like paradigm shifts, you have to like rethink your relationship with technology. But in this case, you also have to kind of rethink your relationship with money. And we've gotten accustomed to doing a lot of stuff for free or for like hidden payments or hidden subsidies, right? So we do a lot of stuff for free in the sense that we drive around in our car and we're giving free data to Google Maps on traffic patterns, but we don't get paid for that data, right? Or we're using Facebook and they're tracking what we're engaging with and what we're liking, and they're able to use that to sell ads. And, you know, we're not really getting paid for all of the like data and training that we're doing on their algorithm. So, you know, one version of Web3 is what we, what kind of started the whole crypto movement, which was Bitcoin and then Ethereum. And it was this idea of decentralized, Bitcoin's like decentralized money, right? It's the first upgrade to gold in you know, what, 4 billion years, <laughs> um, but, you know, a couple million years of human civilization or however long we've been using gold for, you know, 15, 20,000 plus years. And then Ethereum is kind of like an upgrade to like fintech, right? Where it's a new thing that we can build financial rails on. And then Web3 is almost another step beyond that, I think, where it's reimagining this relationship between humans and money, humans and data information, and kind of like reclaiming a bit of ownership over that. So we're, we're starting to see a lot of these new financial and business models around connecting the loop of individuals and their money, where for the last 10 years, 20 years, it's been this very like one-way street where you are providing money and services to a platform in exchange for some goods, but almost never in exchange for money or like a share on the upside. And now a lot of projects are experimenting with, okay, well, how do we share some of that upside with our users? And there's, you know, there's like this thing coming out called Hive Mapper, which is like trying to build a decentralized Google Maps. And you'll get like a webcam thing that you put in your car. And as you drive around, you map your neighborhood and you get paid Hive tokens for contributing to this like decentralized Google Maps. You've got uh, Helium where it's like decentralized AT&T, right? Where you can put the thing on your roof, you're contributing to the Helium network and you're earning their tokens for helping create this decentralized telecommunications network. And what we're seeing in gaming is closing the loop on microtransactions. So anybody who's a really who's really into gaming and who has been in gaming for 10, 20 years, you've seen this evolution where 20 years ago there were really just like single payment games where you paid once and then you got the game and the game was done and then you got to go play the game and enjoy the game. And that was kind of like your financial relationship with the gaming company. And then we started to get subscription games. And this was from like MMOs and it sort of got popularized with MMOs, this idea that you would pay a monthly fee and like more game material would kind of be released over time, right? This was like RuneScape and World of Warcraft and some of those games. And then once mobile got popular, gaming shifted again. And this is kind of like thanks to Facebook games too. So you had like Farmville and Mafia Wars. And then on mobile, you've got like these idle miner games and all of those where now you get to play the game for free, but 
if you want to advance faster, or in some cases, if you just want to look different, if you just want to have like different cosmetic skins, you have to pay for that. And I think one of the biggest surprises with microtransaction and free-to-play gaming was how much people were willing to pay just for cosmetic things that made no difference. Or like Fortnite sells two to $4 billion a year in just cosmetics <laughs> that like don't help you shoot better or anything. So it's a huge market. But the downside of that is you you can never like cash out your work or your rare items in Fortnite or in any of these games. So I want to I wanna stop there for one second because mm-hmm. for the people who aren't gamers or do not follow the industry or don't know much about kind of the pros and the cons of this argument, I want to touch on the bear case of this, right? Because I think people here, and I think everyone's heard at this point, the easiest way I like to describe it is like Chris Dixon got made fun of a lot for his explanation of Web3, which was read, write, and then read, write, and own. And I think everyone understands the ownership part is interesting, at least to some degree, right? The ability to Mm. do exactly what you were doing previously, but now either earn money or, or own what you're interested in. So I think that's an important part. But when it comes to the gaming industry specifically, there seems to be this chasm, right? Or this this difference where people are arguing back and forth about the merit of this, whether it is valuable to be able to own your items in a game. For example, I had Nicholas Julia, who is the CEO of SoRare, right? The founder. A lot of people, I think, understand their model and their system. And one of the things he talked about was the interoperability of these items, right? If you if you buy something in Fortnite, maybe you can bring it to another game and you own it. If Fortnite was to shut down and never exist again, you still own the item. You don't necessarily lose the money. And that's appealing to a lot of people, I believe. But this long-winded question, I want to know, what's the bear case of this? Why do people not think this is valuable? Or why do people think that this shouldn't exist? I'll actually start off by saying that I don't find that part of the gaming argument very compelling. Because, for example, I mean, every serious AAA game has its own art style and design style and its own internal balance. And it's really hard to balance a game, right? From the outside, you think of building a video game as kind of like any software development project, but it's like an order of magnitude harder than almost anything else in software because you have like the software engineering part. And then you also have like the artistic design and the world building and the storytelling and the game balance and like the internal loops. And you have to like get the economy right. There's all these things. And then like, that's so hard on its own that the idea that you would then allow like items from other places that were not involved in your internal decision-making to like come in and affect your game balance to me is like kind of crazy. And this whole, even the concept of ownership, I think is a little overplayed because in, in almost all of these cases, like that game metadata still has to be stored somewhere, right? The blockchain is not good at data storage. It's good at recognizing ownership, but like storing information on Ethereum or even on layer twos is prohibitively expensive. And you can use IPFS and stuff, but like a gaming company isn't going to store, most gaming companies, at least today, are not going to store all of their game assets on IPFS. They're going to be like on their own servers. And so if that game shuts down, like your item is still kind of gone. Like I think the the more interesting case is creating this better relationship between time and money. And this, I'll also answer your your question on the bear case through this too, which is, I think that almost every market reduces to some degree to the relationship between people who have time and people who have money. And if you are willing to put in time, you can often trade the fruits of that time for money from people who don't have time or do not want to spend their time and would rather just like use money instead. And with microtransactions, and as those got popular on mobile, it enabled one version of this relationship, which was if you had time or if you had money, you could exchange that money for time by buying your way further into the game. 
but it did not enable the opposite relationship, which is that there are many people with a lot of time who enjoy playing games and enjoy doing work in games. And there's no way for them to realize the value of the time that they are putting into that game. And so what crypto rails kind of enable for games is like closing that loop and allowing people to directly trade time and money amongst themselves to, you know, create the type of like game that they want to play. Some people enjoy getting a level one character, leveling it up to the max level, and then reselling it for a profit. Or like the main game that I work with, Crypto Raiders, there are a bunch of people who just do this. It's like a semi-full-time job. They'll buy like floor characters that have no stats or anything. They'll level them up and then they'll sell them to people who don't want to go through all that effort. Now, the bear case for all of this and the thing that I think a lot of gamers sometimes really dislike about NFTs and about crypto is you have changed a fun escape from the day-to-day challenges of a hyper-financialized world into another thing that has been absorbed by like the capitalism machine, right? And I think that for a lot of people, gaming is kind of a enjoyable escape from day-to-day life. You might have a job that you don't like that much and you do it to pay the bills, but then you get home and you just want to log on and play some Fortnite and not think about serious work stuff. Well, if now suddenly the work that you're doing in Fortnite has value, you will automatically treat that work differently and it will no longer feel quite as fun and light as it did before. So I suspect that we'll see some games deliberately get chosen not to be financialized just to preserve some of that fun element or games will be split in two where you've got like one side that does have the like financialized crypto rails and one side that's just, you know, play the story, enjoy the game. And I think it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of experimenting to figure out where that balance is. But then the other kind of like bear case legitimate criticism is it can create a weird relationship or like dynamic within the game economy between the people who are doing most of the work and the people who are doing most of the investing where if you know anybody who was following the Axie Infinity craze from a year ago, there was kind of this like weird element to it, I thought, that got surprisingly little media attention. And basically that there were a lot of these like very wealthy Western investors who were paying like literally villages of people in the Philippines to play Axie for them to farm the like smooth love potion resource so that these like investors could breed their axes and then sell those axes to other people who wanted to like play the game. And it's like, it's sort of like this borderline indentured servitude thing where you've got to like earn your way out of the like axes that you were given. So, and this isn't a criticism of axes, it's just criticism of the play to earn model, right? Which is, it can create these like odd dynamics in games between like the investors and the players. And we haven't totally figured that out yet. How much of that, I know Axie specifically was was really born out of the Philippines, right? And, and that's where they got most of their traction. And it was so popular because of the amount of money they were able to earn versus the relative average income of someone that lived there, right? So I don't know the numbers yeah. off the top of my head, but maybe it was two or three times what the average person would earn going to work. So if you can do that from a game, you know, why not go do that? So how much of that is is geographic based, right? Like, is that even possible here in the United States, given our our level of income versus the Philippines? How do you think about that? It depends on the game and it depends on the attention to the game. So this might be a good time to bring in Stepin, actually, because the thing that is neat about Stepin 
and what's attracted a lot of attention to it is you can make kind of absurd amounts of money playing it right now. So before this call, I went on a walk for an hour. And while on the walk, I earned about 90 GST, which is the in-game token for Stepin. And GST is trading at like $6 today. So, I mean, I made, what is that, $540 on my hour-long walk, which is kind of absurd. (laughs) Yeah, so so I want to set the stage because when I first saw your article, and I had seen some headline attention-grabbing things before, right? But you started the article, and I'm reading it word for word. I made $357 from walking today, Yeah, right? And it sounds absurd to someone who's not interested in crypto or has no idea how some of these mechanics work. But let's first start with like how the hell that's even possible. And if you can, if you can very conceptualize or, or generally bring up the game and what Stepin actually is, that's probably helpful too. Totally. So, you know, and, and this ties into the like, people playing in the US versus playing in other countries with lower net worth too, which is yep. that, you know, the way the way step in works and the way a lot of these games work is by playing the game, you generate the in-game currency. So in Axie, you generate SLP by fighting monsters and by battling other players. In Step In, you generate GST by walking, jogging, or running. To do that, you need to have a step in sneaker. And the sneakers are NFTs within the app, and you have to go buy those on the market in order to be able to play the game at all. And the higher level your sneaker is, the more it can earn. And the more sneakers you have, the more you can exercise per day. So I have nine sneakers, which gets me 45 minutes of activity and earning time. And two of those sneakers are like a higher quality tier, which gives me an extra 10 minutes. So I get a total of 55 minutes. And you know, like that's a lot, but I have to buy those like nine sneakers or I have to create them, right? So there's the internal economy to step in, which is you get a shoe, you go exercise, and that generates this GST. You can then use that GST to level up your sneaker so that it can earn more. You can use it to mint additional sneakers so that you like increase your sneaker roster. And then by creating more sneakers, you can sell those on the market or, you know, again, you can keep it for yourself. So you you have to like do actual activity to do anything in the game. And then where it gets more interesting is bringing in that like time versus money element that we were talking about before, which is because Stepin is on crypto rails, there is a liquid market for GST for that in-game currency that can only be earned by walking. So for some people, they don't even use the GST for anything. They just pull it out of the game and sell it on the open market for USDC, for Solana, for whatever. And then they're just like getting their daily paycheck from that. But then there's another side of the market, which is buying GST. And they're buying it because they want to bring it into the game so that they can either level up their sneakers so that you know they can earn more. But usually they're buying GST so they can bring it into the game to create more sneakers. <laughs> and this is where we start to get into the like Ponzi-nomic flywheel inherent in a lot of these games is that... So, so before we get into that, because I think that that might confuse some people that aren't level set yet, right? I want to just take a step back and, and maybe I can summarize and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong or, or where things need to be changed. So... You go to Stepin, you buy these sneakers, which are NFTs. You can go see them online. They're essentially like colored shoes. They look like shoes, et cetera. You buy them. You've bought, I think you said nine of them. 
I think you said you spent thirty or forty thousand dollars on them, right? So I assume they well, cost. That's what they're worth now. So okay. they, I think I only spent like twelve. How much is a new? How much is a new sneaker if you were to go buy one today? Yeah, if you wanted to go play right now and just get like one of the cheapest sneakers to start, you're looking at like what is this? It's probably thirteen Solana, which is about thirteen hundred dollars today. So it's quite expensive to actually get started. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, and then those sneakers enable you to basically earn money and you're only allowed to exercise for a certain number of minutes based on each sneaker that you have. So maybe the lower level sneaker, a cheaper sneaker gets you a few minutes, a higher level one gets you, I think you said 10 minutes. Is that accurate? Basically there are set amounts of sneakers that get you amounts of time. So if you have one sneaker, you get 10 minutes. Once you have three sneakers, that goes up to 20 minutes. And then at nine sneakers, you get 45 minutes. And then at 15 sneakers, you get an hour. And at 30 sneakers, you get like an hour 15 or something. But I haven't gotten that high. So certain numbers increase the amount of minutes you can exercise. Okay. The higher level the sneaker, the more you'll earn per minute. So when you buy a very basic sneaker and you're just starting and it's level one, you might only earn like 0.3 per minute. But you level that up to like level 20 or 30, and it might be one and a half per minute. And with each token being $6, that like adds up pretty quickly. Yeah. And it tracks it on an app like similar to Strava. It uses your maps. Exactly. How does it do that? Okay. Yeah. So you've got to bring your phone with you and it tracks your steps and your GPS to like make sure you're not cheating. Okay. And they're referring to this as move to earn versus play to earn. Exactly. Because you have to actually go out and get exercise. And it's like a little embarrassing how much more active I am since getting the app. I looked in my iPhone pedometer, you know, it it like tracks your steps. And for the three or four months before I got step in, my daily average steps were very consistently about 5,000. And since I got step in, my daily average is like 12,000. It's a like dramatic jump in daily activity. I've also started getting compliments on like being more tan which is kind of nice because I'm like outside for an hour plus every day now, just like walking around. And so it's it's the first crypto app, I think, that's actually like making me a better human being, which is kind of nice. So, so I want to get to that. That is actually one of my points around kind of how this impacts the average person, because I think it yeah. probably does to an out, outsized degree versus other crypto stuff. Exactly. But let's first go back to the the tokenomics and how you mentioned kind of the, the infrastructure loan. I'm going to put on my my pessimist hat here. And my devil's advocate had and just say, like, this is a pyramid scheme, right? This is a Ponzi. Why is it not in your mind? Like, how does this work? People are putting money into the game. They're exercising. They're getting paid more tokens in return. How does this all work where this continues to scale at a a large rate? Yeah. So, you know, I think we should clarify terms a little bit, right? Where in a Ponzi, right? Like technically in a Ponzi, there is no like product or thing of value. The only way earlier people are paid out is by like later people buying into the system. And then like similar thing in a pyramid scheme, right? Where it's, you are making money by the like startup cost of later people. And like, there isn't that many sales on like the underlying asset, right? But we have this kind of like idea in crypto of like Ponzi nomics. And it kind of like comes from VC too, because if we think of something like Uber or Lyft, or like bird scooters or whatever, like none of those businesses were sustainable when they were launched and while they were growing, right? And they were kind of like heavily subsidized by like VC dollars and you were able to like go and, you know, get like free rides and do all this stuff. And now in crypto, 
instead of like the free stuff from VCs, we kind of have like free money from the system where these ecosystems kind of like bootstrap themselves by allowing these kind of like crazy growth flywheels to run for a certain period of time, people who join in. The problem though, is they are unsustainable, right? And this is something that I tried to like really drive home in the article is that it is currently in this kind of like Ponzi-domic growth phase where the cost of everything in the app is kind of like going up constantly. However, more GST is being issued than is being burned and the costs are going up. So this kind of tells you that what is happening at the economic level is inflation. And so stuff shouldn't be getting more valuable, right? Because like money is just being like printed and thrown out into the system. GST should be going down in USD terms because more and more of it's being issued every day. And with GST going down in USD terms, sneakers should be getting cheaper. The game should be getting cheaper, but it's not. It's getting more expensive. And that's because more people want to play than current players can create enough GST and sneakers to service. And what's kind of crazy with Stepin is they have this like activation code system where you need an invitation from an existing player in order to play. And existing players only get one invitation per 50 minutes of activity. And you can't get another one until you use the first one. So I have people asking for like invitations nonstop. It, like ever since I published that article, it's Twitter DMs, emails, pings on Discord, everywhere. People are like fighting for these codes. People will pay $500 to get an activation code because they know of the earning potential. But the wild thing is that because of the move to earn dynamics in the game, it's it's actually hard to make GST. Like most people don't have an hour a day to go like walk around their neighborhood and generate this token. And most people don't have rare enough sneakers to generate a lot of it. And most people don't even have like enough sneakers to go create a ton of it. So not that much is being created. And so if you look at the token price for GST, it's like going up and up and up and up and up and up and up because so many people want to come in and play, but there's only so much like running around people can do in a given day. So it's like totally unsustainable right now. And if they turned off that activation code thing, there would probably be like a million people who would start playing tomorrow. I was looking at some stats where there have been over a million downloads on the app store for the app, but there have only ever been 250,000 players, which means that like at least on iPhones, there are at least 750,000 people who have downloaded it in the last few weeks wanting to play who have not been able to. And you know it's probably even more on Android because it works internationally. So the only way they can get out of this like cost accelerating flywheel is they either like hit that tipping point where the demand dies off. People don't want sneakers as much. The price starts to go down. And then basically as soon as that happens, everything collapses like 90%. And that's what we saw in Axie. That's what we've seen a lot of these kind of like runaway crypto hype cycles is, you know, once that interest falters a little bit, everything can collapse pretty quickly. And this is the main thing that I warn people about with getting into something like step in is like, you really don't want to be there when the music stops and the prices on everything like have to correct again. But the interesting thing with them is that because they have this like gated signup system, they've slowed it down significantly. And even despite that it's gone up almost a hundred percent in the last month, you know, the value of everything in the game. And so I can't imagine how fast it'd be going up if they weren't gating it. Just the amount of money that wants to flow into the game is, is kind of wild. But 
then there's this question of, okay, well, you've got all the costs of this stuff going up and you've got all these people who want to come in and play. People who were in early are up insane multiples on their original investment. Is there any way for that to balance out without everything just like crashing and destroying the like paper wealth that people in the game have generated over the last month or two? And what's interesting with Step In versus some other crypto apps and versus some other games is this idea around positive signaling for health. Because there, there's two things with Step In. One is it's the first time a lot of people I know have been interested in crypto. It's bringing a lot of non-crypto people on chain in a way I've never seen before. And it's because you don't have to like learn this weird esoteric DeFi stuff. You don't have to be like a hardcore gamer. You just have to enjoy walking around your neighborhood. And then you could be earning money doing that and you can play the sneaker game on top of it. And so it's bringing all these people on chain. And then I'm in a few different group chats for Step In and people share their walks with each other. People share their walks on Twitter and on Instagram. And people are excited for the social features of something like this. Like they're excited to show off that they like went on a walk and they earned this. And no, I got this mystery box and it had this cool gem in it, right? Like it's got these neat social elements built into it. And with social elements comes demand for signaling and status. And people will spend money on signaling and status that is not ROI positive. The big problem in the step in economy right now is everything that you spend the token on increases your ability to earn more tokens. And that just can't go on forever <laughs> because there'll just be way too many tokens and it'll just inflate away any value. So there have to be things that you lose value on. And account level cosmetics are an incredible potential for that that we already know works from a lot of other games. And so if they build in a social element similar to Strava, and they've already talked about this, they said that they're building in you know, more of a like social fi, social gaming element to it. And then they introduce ways to use some of the currency you're generating from your exercise on like enhancing your social profile and some of these like statusy elements, there might be a way out of their crazy growth flywheel. You know, and the the thing with a lot of like crypto gaming is nobody has figured this out yet. Everybody's figured out how to get this flywheel going. There's been a lot of good, a lot of people have like really mastered that, how to like start the party, but nobody's figured out how to like end the party without, you know, lighting the house on fire. It pretty much always ends up collapsing in you know some fashion. And so then the question is like, could they create an interesting way out of it with these social signaling elements that do not just result in creating more currency? Like, I don't know, maybe. I have a little more confidence in them to come up with something than like a normal game just because they've already done such a good job of getting like non-hardcore gamers in, making it like positive, you know, social statusy thing to share your runs. It's there's like something interesting and kind of neat and different there. Yeah. I want to touch on one of the points that you mentioned, because I think it's interesting and it involves other things that not only I've talked about on the podcast, but people generally interested in crypto from the outside in have probably seen or heard of also. And it's the idea of onboarding people through less crypto feeling things, we'll call them, right? So I think this is a good example because as confusing as it is with everything you mentioned at some point, in reality, the easiest way to explain it is that you buy this NFT or this shoe, you go work out and you earn money for that, right? Yeah. Whether it's running, walking, whatever. And I think most people can understand that. And to your point, it seems like a lot of people you know are now interested in crypto to some degree because of that. There's been other ones like NBA Top Shot, So Rare is another one, right? Like there's there's some gamification of this through crypto where they don't feel like they're using crypto, right? Like you can pay with your credit card, you sign up, you're trading these cards, you don't necessarily even know that it is crypto, 
How important do you think that piece of it is to growing the space overall? Right. Because I think about crypto in general today, and there's this huge disconnect between the user experience and like what the average person knows and, and can use. And I think that's probably the biggest gap right now between onboarding the next billion people, right? Versus where we are today. Totally. And, and this is where, you know, I disagree with a lot of people in the crypto community in the sense that crypto has always been very strong on this idea of decentralization like freedom from, you know, trusted third parties, all of that. And I think that's really important for the money element, right? Where like Bitcoin is this incredible technology because it's permissionless money. And it's like, you know, free from really any censorship or anything. Like it's incredible for that. But if you want to onboard 100 million people to the next era of the internet, like $50 gas fees and bridging to separate layer twos and having to like go through these convoluted transactions off of Coinbase and on chain, it's just not going to work. Like it's so hard to get onto Optimism, Arbitrum, Polygon, Avalanche, like all these Ethereum layer two solutions or side chains or like EVM compatible L1s, like all the places where you don't have to worry about spending $20 on a transaction are really hard to get to except for Solana. And the reason it's so easy to get on Solana is because they're not really like, they're they're like kind of crypto, kind of not crypto. Like, yes, it's a blockchain, but it's pretty centralized. It's like basically controlled by the Solana team. They can like take it down and like, you know, restart the servers and stuff when they have to. And yes, it's buggy. And, you know, you can't really trust it as much as you can trust Ethereum or something, but it's fast. It's really cheap. And for onboarding the next wave of people, something like that is going to do it. And what's kind of remarkable about Stepin, and I didn't really realize this until I was onboarding people to it who had no experience with crypto, but Stepin's really the first crypto app that I've seen where you never have to interact with a wallet directly. Like Stepin has a wallet in it, but you download the app, you set up your Stepin wallet. And then you can just go to Coinbase and send Solana straight to your Stepin account. And then entirely within the Stepin app, you can trade between Solana, USDC, GST, and GMT. And so you could just be like cashing out to USDC, sending it into you know your Solana wallet or cashing out to Solana and sending it straight to Coinbase and into your bank account. Like they've removed like four or five layers of complexity compared to every other crypto application out there. And so it's made it so much easier for people to like benefit from crypto tech while giving up a bit of the decentralization and all of those aspects, but to just like get them on chain and get them curious about it. And once you've got some money in the ecosystem, then you might say like, okay, well, I've got this USDC. Do I want to cash it out to Wells Fargo or do I want to keep it here? Or I could be earning like 5% on it and be able to like send it back and forth instantly or use Solana pay at the coffee shop near me and you know do all this stuff like i'm more of a eth maximalist like i believe in that vision long term but in the short term like salon is incredible for <laughs> bringing people into these kinds of applications really quickly uh and it it's going to be fun lightweight stuff like this i mean i think it's going to be games i think games are going to be what bring people on chain more than anything because like venmo's good enough you know most people don't want to bother like pulling stuff out of their 401k to like get into weird DeFi stuff, nor should they probably, right? People who just want to hold Bitcoin and ETH are just going to hold it in Coinbase for the most part. And they probably should. I don't think most people should like mess with self-custody unless they really know what they're getting into. But playing a video game where you can make money, 
like, okay, now, now I'm motivated, right? Now I want to go figure this thing out. And it's been cool to see how motivating that's been for people who previously had no interest in crypto technology specifically. In particular, all of my female friends who have been like exposed to crypto through like their guy friends, because like crypto is still like a very male dominated industry. I don't know what what about it makes it that way, but it's probably like 70, 80% dudes. And this is like the first crypto application I've seen where like a huge number of my female friends are like, wait, I want to like check this out. Like I want to set up my wallet and do all this stuff. And that's like really interesting to see as well. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is people probably want it to succeed because it's seen as a net benefit to society, right? If you can get people outside working yeah. out, they're, they're happier, they're healthier and all of those things. So I think that makes sense. The other thing I want to touch on quickly is where we're at today from a gaming perspective and where you think we might be, call it maybe 10 or even 15, 20 years from now, right? From a crypto as a percentage or a part of the ecosystem, right? So I assume today, I don't know the numbers, you you know them much better than me, but like, how big is this today? And how big do you think it'll be in the future? I mean, it's probably 0.1 to 1% of spend on gaming is in crypto games. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. But I suspect that we're going to have three to five years of, you know, like, pushback and struggle within the gaming community where you're going to have some of these big studios, right? Like Ubisoft tried to do an NFT thing in one of their games and the community just like lost their shit and they walked it back. But now you've got Epic saying they're going to do some stuff with it. And I think what's going to happen, honestly, is we're going to see a lot of new game studios come up because there haven't really been many new big gaming studios in the last like five years in the same way that there were the era of like Blizzard and Activision and, you know, like when Epic started with Unreal and kind of like all of those guys. Now there's like the mobile gaming companies, but I think next there's going to be these like crypto native game studios that will probably like buy IP from older gaming studios and like bring it on chain in new ways. They might like partner with them to bring some stuff on, but like Axie and Ronin, you know, that's not going to be their only game. They've got a formula and they're going to be able to spin out a lot of cool stuff. The Crypto Raiders team, like they've talked about wanting to do a lot of different games. You've got like Illuvium and they're launching like three or four different games within that kind of like same ecosystem. And I think we're just going to see more of these companies pop up. And when companies figure out how to do play and earn in a way where the game is fun and something you want to play and you get the benefit of being able to cash out at the end of it, like that's when I think it starts to really go mainstream. And that's kind of the other reason why I'm particularly like confident on Steppen's ability to figure something interesting out here, which is that like I'm up more than I would need to be up to cash out on my investment and be really happy with it. But I don't want to because I'm having fun, right? Like I'm enjoying playing the game. If it were only making 10% as much, I'd probably still be playing it because it's like just the tiny nudge I need to go outside and like exercise and, you know, be active. And there's this other game like Sunflower Land that is just like a soothing little like Farmville throwback. And, you know, you get to like make some crypto while you're like managing your farm. And, you know, Crypto Raiders, they've like done a lot of work on the dungeons and like the character development and everything. And like, it's actually kind of a challenging like, player versus environment dungeon brawler now and it's like fun to play but you happen to make you know five ten dollars a day whatever playing it right like 
that I think is where we're going to start to find the sweet spot is this like play and earn concept where, you know, you come in, you play the game, you're going to make a little bit if you want to cash out the value of your work. And then if you get bored and you want to go play something else, you can sell your assets and maybe you put 50 to a hundred dollars into the game. And at the end of it, you can sell it for 60, 80 bucks, or maybe you got something rare and you know, you, you're net like $50 up. Yeah, I think one thing that will go away are these like breeding Ponzi flywheels that are really popular right now, right? Like the Axie breeding, the step in sneaker breeding. And now there's going to be like crypto unicorn breeding. And like that model will probably like die off or morph into something. But yeah, I mean, in, in 10 years, I think the idea that you could play a online multiplayer game with stuff that you earn through work and not be able to cash that out to other players is going to seem just like totally absurd. And the reason I think that that's true is that people have been trying to do this for decades. I mean, if you played RuneScape in early 2000s, you had these items like party hats that were worth probably like tens of thousands of dollars, but there was no market to like trade that. So you had to do these like trusted third party, you know, PayPal transactions, whatever, and like send the account. And it was like really risky. And, you know, you could get like rug to have your stuff stolen, but people really wanted to like apply value to their items. And this was true in World of Warcraft, where there was a whole gray market for gold. This is true in like Dota 2 and Counter-Strike Go. Like any time that there's been a way to create a gray market for items, people have done it. And so when you create like true rails for trading time and money within video games, it's just going to get adopted more and more over time. Like it's just the natural direction the industry is going to move in. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I have one more question for you. You mentioned earlier about Solana, which was probably somewhat in line with this question, but I'm curious if there's anything else. The question is, is there anything that you really believe to be true or believe to be accurate that is probably contrarian at this point or, or non-consensus? The, the first thing that I come to is just like how much of a reckoning we're going to have around technology applied to health. And I think that one thing that we can get myopic about is how we've successfully used technology to improve our relationship with money and work. And we have had like a pretty disastrous attempt to extrapolate that into improving our bodies and our health as well. And this is my biggest problem with the crypto community in particular, is this notion of like, oh, well, we built a better financial technology, therefore we can like build a better human. And it's like, okay, we've had finance for, you know, we've had modern finance for like 50 to 100 years. Human biology is a 2 billion year process that has been like refined and refined and refined. And almost every attempt to engineer ourselves into something better has had like disastrous consequences on a five to 50 year timeline. And so I I've really distrust and dislike this focus on like living forever super longevity, like we're going to all take like these random drugs and, you know, extend our lifespan a little bit. I think the reckoning for that is going to be like really, really brutal. And we're already seeing that with the kind of disastrous results of the like scientification of food in the seventies and eighties, right? Where we ended up with so much plastic in the food and water supply. And we ended up like taking real fats out of our diets and replacing them with these like seed oil composites and just the kind of like disastrous effect that's had on obesity and now fertility, right? Like if you're in your 
especially if you're in your early 30s and you want to have kids, like it's something you kind of have to think about now because the average like 25 year old woman today is less fertile than her grandmother was at age 35, right? Like our fertility is just like falling off a cliff. It's true for men too. And like almost all of this stuff, I think stems back from our attempt to believe we are smarter than evolution and biology. And while I'm like hardcore bullish on crypto for money and for work and for all of those, like we need to draw a like very bright red line between computer technology and like our health and wellness, because the obsession with new stuff in one area does not translate well to the other area. And I think that's something that me and the crypto community can feel pretty differently (laughs) about at times. Yeah, I imagine. I think that people get arrogant to a degree too, right? That one problem has been solved through these technologies or this infrastructure, and they think that other problems similar can be solved. And I think to your point that sometimes it's important to step back and realize that that's maybe not the case. And it's also probably not as black and white, right? Like I think that everyone knows the basics of this, right? Which is like, if you want to be healthy, eat healthy, sleep good, work out, you know, the, the, the normal things. But ultimately, like people have come on this show too and other shows and and they give all these hacks and things that you can do to really enhance yourself and do the 1% and make yourself 2% better. So I go back and forth on the idea of like, what is necessary, what's not necessary and like, how should people really think about this? But I think you're accurate in the point of just like, we need to trust our understanding of science and other things like that a little more than we probably do from the computer standpoint. But that's fascinating. That was a great answer. You know, I asked Ice Cube last episode and he said, everything's corrupt. (laughs) 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 which is i guess not a bad answer either i'll I'll give i'll give a quick crypto specific one too which is that i think like most DAOs are kind of silly and that idea is going to go away pretty quickly i'm totally on board with that i am totally on board yeah i mean we have been refining coordinating human effort at scale for thousands of years and never once has like democratic voting been the answer And this idea that like, oh, well, now that we have like blockchains, then we can all just like work together naturally and without any hierarchy and without like clear decision makers, right? Like it's just silly. That model would have worked fine without blockchain if that were the answer. There's a reason why the businesses are set up the way they are today, because a hierarchical structure like that works very, very, very well, right? Amazon wouldn't be what it was today if Jeff Bezos wasn't running it and making all those decisions. Same thing with all these other companies, Tesla, you know, all of these businesses, that structure works really well to build a big business and to scale it. And DAOs have a lot of totally. cool things, right? Giving people the ability to vote and those other things. But I totally agree. I think probably like 90% plus of the use cases are just like the hot topic right now and not necessarily any substance. So my guess would be similar to yours probably where we'll see a big shakeout in those. And it's funny talking about sports a lot too. They're trying to buy sports teams and it's like, no one's ever going to, not only is the NFL not ever going to let you buy, the NBA is not ever going to let you buy a multi-billion dollar team with a Dow and like have thousands of individual decision makers, but it also just wouldn't work. It would be impossible to get anything done. It would be impossible mm-hmm. to actually grow the business. It would be impossible to- Aren't, aren't the Packers owned by a co-op? So the Packers are owned, it's essentially a donation. How it works okay. is they- they sell shares periodically. There's no set schedule, but whenever they need to raise money, they go out and they sell shares. And what they do is you you essentially get a share, which is a piece of paper. It has no value. You can't trade it and and there's no market for it. So you're you're essentially donating money. I don't know exactly how much (laughs) each of them costs, but say it's it's $25 or $50 or whatever, you donate money. 
and you get a few perks. It's like, it's a community, right? So you get to come to like a preseason game or practice. You get to vote on like who leads the actual business, right? So they have a president, they have all the other stuff, Mm -hmm. but you don't get to pick players. You don't get to pick any of the actual business decisions. So you're essentially a shareholder of the team, but it's just, they're they're the last publicly owned team. So they've kept that structure. But then you look at places like the Buffalo Bills, right? And now people on Long Island who will never ever go to a Buffalo Bills game in their life are paying tax money for a new stadium, right? The, the new mm. stadium is $1.4 billion and they got 800 million of it funded by the public. So the Green Bay Packers situation is not looking as terrible because they're like, hey, look, it comes out to like five or 10 bucks every citizen in Green Bay. So, you know, there's this unique world where sometimes it, it makes economic sense and sometimes it doesn't. But on a Dow specific point, I'm on the same page. I think that we'll probably see a shakeout in a lot of that stuff. All right. This was great, dude. Thank you so much. I know we went over how long I told you, so I apologize, but I appreciate you coming. It's fun to talk about. Yeah, I know. I learned a lot. I hope everyone else did too. But before I let you go, where can I send people to find you on the internet, find your newsletter, et cetera? Yeah, I'd say just Twitter at Nat Eliason on Twitter. And then cryptonat.substack.com is the newsletter. And, you know, I've been experimenting with a few different verticals in crypto. So like talking about DeFi and I talk about tokenomics and like token design a lot. And gaming has really been like the area where I'm most interested and have felt the most resonance. And so if you're interested in more of this crypto gaming stuff, then definitely go check that out because I'm going to be talking about it a lot more. And I think we're I think we're entering just like such an exciting era of crypto gaming where games take a long time to build. They're really hard to make. And people have started working on these one, two, three years ago. And now they're just starting to come onto the market. And there's just so much cool stuff coming out this year. I, I think it's going to be just like awesome and so much fun. So I'm excited to you know talk about it more there. I totally agree. Not only is a newsletter fantastic, I, I highly recommend people check it out. But the amount of people who still doubt a lot of this stuff is confusing to me, right? Because not only have we seen traction, like everyone's seen charts where they overlay crypto users to the internet and how fast it's growing and all of these things. But even when you just think about it from a, a capital standpoint, both intellectually and financially, right? Every many, many, many smart people that I know have left traditional jobs, right? I used to work at JP Morgan. I know yeah. 10 to 15 people just from there that left to go work at crypto companies, the smartest people I knew there. Then you're seeing all the venture capital funds and, and everyone investing in the space also. So at some point, it's just like, guys, this is going to work. It's just a matter of the substance and how it looks and feels and what actually wins. Yeah. I mean, has there ever been a technology where like a large chunk of the smartest 20-year-olds were quitting their high-paying jobs to go work on it that didn't become a big thing 10 to 20 years later, right? Is that a Chris Dixon quote or whatever, right? Like whatever people are like playing around with on their nights and weekends like is going to become like the big thing in 10, 20 years. I mean, it's, I think it's really true here. And we're just the number of smart people to your point who are leaving, especially finance and tech jobs to go do something in web three. They don't even know what they're just excited to dive in and and mess around and figure it out. That's pretty cool and pretty magical. And it's a special thing to be a part of because if you're in your twenties or thirties, like this is that thing you get to be a part of or not. Right. Like I was a little too young to enjoy the mobile boom. I was definitely too young to enjoy the internet boom, but I'm 29 with the perfect age to enjoy this like crypto era. And then in 20, 30 years, we can be like the grumpy old people saying the new thing won't work. And, you know, our grandkids will get to tell us that we're wrong. Yeah. 
it always turns over where, where people get to that point, right? We look at those guys today or those women today and we're like, ah, I'm never going to be that. And then we will be at some point, I'm sure. I'll be like, no, Bitcoin still solves this. <laughs> <Yeah>. Shut up. <laughs> exactly. I think part of it too is not only are people excited about it to leaving their jobs, but then they see people making you know six figures walking around in a neighborhood with digital shoes and they're like, fuck, I got to get involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think if you if you turn down the that's stupid and must be a scam and turn up the this is like a silly experiment that won't last forever, but is something you can participate in and have fun with like that mindset just helps a lot. Right. Like you're not going to be able to do step in and make this kind of money every day for the next like 30 years. Like this isn't your new career, but it's a fun new thing you get to participate in for maybe like a few months or a year and like be part of that experiment and then go on to the next games and, you know, or see how they evolve, right? Like everything's constantly changing and evolving and it's, it's neat to get to be a part of that. Matt, I don't hang out with any pessimist, anyone who's got a problem yeah. with things right off the bat that they're kicked to the curb. We don't got any time for them. I, I like optimists. I like people that like to see the benefits and like to experiment and learn. So you're on that page in my book. For sure. And again, I appreciate you coming on. I feel like we could have done this for another hour or two. So maybe at some point we'll do it again when the next game comes out, whether Anytime. it's digital shoes or something else. But this was awesome, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to have you on and we'll do it again. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Palm Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.